This is an AMI podcast. I'm Jyotha Gupta, and this is the Pulse. We are more than our diagnoses, more than an eye condition or a set of symptoms. To be visually impaired or to live with any kind of disability goes beyond the physical and mental impairment. The embodiment of disability also deals with the ways in which disability is viewed in the world. The representation of disability and its perception by others is as important as any diagnosis. People with disabilities are alternatively viewed as charity cases or supercrips. Although the disability community faces barriers to employment, education, transportation and public life, many people with disabilities are changing what it means to live with a disability. Today, we discuss the lived experience of vision loss in Canada. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to the pulse on AMI Audio. My name is Jyotha Gupta, and you're listening to the third episode of our four-part coverage of the Canadian Vision 2020 summit that took place in Ottawa. This is the part that I got really excited about, where we've covered off the research, we've covered off the data collection, and now we're really trying to marry those things to the lived experience of vision loss. I mentioned earlier on that the conference really centered around three panels. Each of these three panels deals with a specific topic discussed in a white paper. And the second white paper looked at the nitty-gritties of living with vision loss in Canada. The corresponding panel was a discussion centered around the complexities of vision loss in Canada with panelists providing perspectives on employment, accessibility, privacy and more. Areas for progressive change in policy, technology and education as well as labor were also explored. Now today on the show we'll hear a couple of interviews I did with two panelists from the second panel that took place at Vision 2020. which focused on living with vision loss. We'll hear from Samantha Moore, the co-chair of the 2019 National Young Leaders Program at Fighting Blindness Canada. But first, let's hear my interview with Louise Gillis, the national president for the Canadian Council of the Blind, and Albert Rule, the Western Canada Program Coordinator for Get Together with Technology at CCB. Louise and Albert, welcome to the Pulse. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Louise, of course, you're a familiar voice on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. People have heard from you before. Tell us a little bit about why the CCB, the Canadian Council for the Blind, wanted to collaborate with Fighting Blindness Canada to put on this conference. Well, the Canadian Council of the Blind is for all Canadians, and the Fighting Blindness Canada is uh, one that's there to help prevent blindness and one of the missions for CCB is in uh, preventing blindness so working together seemed like a, a perfect fit mm-hmm. and that's why we collaborated on this first effort and it went very well i would say now louise you were the moderator for one of the three panels that took place at the at the event itself your panel dealt with the experience of living with vision loss tell us a little bit about what it is that you had wanted to achieve with that particular panel Uh, the basic thing was to let others know that just because you have vision loss, it's not the end of life. 
that we are independent and can get out and, and do things, providing we have access to accessible equipment that we may need for work or transportation or whatever the, the need is to to help us along the way. So uh, life after blindness is, is something for somebody new to blindness uh, really needs to learn more about and this is one of the reasons why we had this topic so that people could understand that yes, uh, keep on moving you can fulfill your wishes to the greatest expectations and continue in life as uh, a person with vision loss but doing many more things that are beyond your vision loss. You're a person first vision loss second. Albert, you were one of the three panelists that spoke at the event. And one of the things that really stood out about your presentation was just what a great sense of humor you had. I know the room was in splits of laughter. I had a stitch in my side. And it was really nice hearing your humor come across when you were presenting. What role has humor played for you in your life? Well, I think it's it's a really great icebreaker when you're talking to someone else about vision loss, whether they're a somebody early in that journey or a family member or a friend of someone who's in, on the journey. And mm-hmm. so, I, yeah, laughter and, and, you know, making light of it, uh, it, it's just a great way to get past those, those sticky bits uh, and so we can get into a, a deeper conversation about the experience of vision loss. And fortunately for you, you're actually a funny guy. I stick to knock-knock jokes, and those sometimes land, and often they don't. But uh, tell me a little bit about what you do at CCB. So you're heavily involved with the Get Together with Technology program. Some of us might be familiar, and other people might want to know what it is. So what's the program all about? Oh, well, it's it's a peer mentoring program. It's uh, the blind helping themselves and each other. Uh, Get Together with Technology was started way back in 2011 by Kim Kilpatrick Mm -hmm. and... um, and a colleague in Ottawa, and so Kim's been on the job, you know, since around then. I came on board in around 2014 to be the Western coordinator of the Get Together with Technology program. And so we, we run face-to-face group meetings where we present on uh, different technologies. We help each other learn how to use it and, and maximize the benefits. And we also have a, uh, I mean, an email distribution list. We have a, a gttprogram.blog blog site where we talk about different things and, and share information. We have a, uh, what's it called, a WhatsApp group where mm-hmm. we have discussions around, around technology. And we have, we're, of course, on Facebook, Twitter, and um, yeah, Facebook page, Facebook group, and on Twitter as well. Mm. So you're really trying to help people find community and some expertise and some peer mentorship around using technology. Now, Louise, using technology is one part of the equation. It's certainly something that assures integration within the broader community. But the other thing that came up at the panel, and I wondered if you'd weigh in on this, is this point about discrimination and ongoing stigma faced by people who are visually impaired. Can you recap the conversation? Yes, uh, sometimes uh, many people, because they have vision loss, are left behind and discriminated against because public in general have little knowledge about what uh, a person with the sight loss can do and are often overlooked in the, the job market for sure. Mm-hmm. And just in any other community partnerships, whether they go to a, a meeting, they are often left behind and, and said, oh, they're just blind so they can't do anything. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a myth that we're trying to 
to get people to understand that people, just because they have sight loss, doesn't mean that they have loss of everything else. Mm-hmm. You know, um, many people with sight loss are brilliant lawyers and, and so many different uh, employment opportunities are there, providing we have the equipment to work with to get there. So it's getting the employers and um, public in general to understand that uh, we are capable of doing whatever it is that we set our minds to in the majority of cases. Mm-hmm. And, w- and with the assistance of technology or uh, tra- transportation, as I mentioned earlier, those types of things that, that help us along the way and sometimes su- support people in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And even guide dogs are uh, a big help. So uh, just getting beyond the, the stigma of uh, you know somebody who's blind is no longer sitting on the corner trying to sell mm-hmm. pencils. So, Albert, Louis indicated that technology is becoming a bit of a game changer. And at the panel, you made this remark about people no longer needing to carry a backpack of specialized tech with them with the iPhone coming into the picture. We've really seen an evolution in mainstream tech being adapted for people who are visually impaired. What are some of the opportunities and some of the barriers faced by the blind and partially sighted community when it comes to accessing technology? Well, one of the great barriers is a, is an understanding of what inclusion means. You know, if I um, can't remember who said it, but something like, um, if you don't plan to include, you have subconsciously chosen to exclude some people. So when you, you think about these point-of-sale purchase devices that are a flat screen, there's no buttons, mm-hmm. and you're meant to make your payment at, at the counter, at the till, using one of those devices, and yet... We've had talking bank machines since the late 1990s, and manufacturers are still building those things without any speech output or any kind of accessibility. So the the whole manufacturing sector needs to be changed, and they don't appear to be doing it voluntarily. So we desperately need legislation to enforce inclusion in, in that regard. The other really huge barrier is training. You know, I can come home with a $1,000 iPhone, that will do all manner of things for me. I can attach a refreshable Braille display to it, so if I'm a Braille user, I can access the information that way. And there's nobody who can train you on it, mm-hmm. right? It's you know, it's $110 an hour to hire a trainer, and who, you know, when they're looking for work, can afford the cost of training on these things. So we desperately need way, way better. First of all, just independence skills training, you know, uh, adaptation just to daily living skills so that we can be more ready to go to work once we gain the the technical knowledge that we need. Mm -hmm. So those are the huge barriers, but opportunities, my goodness, the the technology, we have more information at our fingertips now than we've ever had, and yet so many doors are closed or partially closed Mm -hmm. for us to get at some of that info. Now, I'm going to ask you both a really tough question. We've got maybe a minute or so left. Louise, I'm going to start with you. What was your one key takeaway from the event, uh, the Vision 2020 Summit? What's the one thing that you felt most excited about? I think uh, it was a reaction from many of the people in the audience that uh, were not aware of uh, items that were available and how people with vision loss can be so productive in their life. Uh, many people came to me afterwards talking about that part. You know, we're not being left behind. Mm-hmm. Albert, same question to you. What got you excited? What got me excited is that the, 
the blind and vision impaired folks are in the room talking now. It's always been the medical community and the research community talking about what they'll do for us. Now we've been invited into the room or we've asked to be included so that we can be part of the discussion. Because if the cure isn't found today or tomorrow, we still have to adjust to the loss of vision. So we need to be in the room to talk about it from a different perspective. Well, Louise and Albert, I know we've only scratched the surface, but thank you very much for being on the Pulse today, and I hope you guys will come back. Oh, thank you, and we look forward to coming back. That was my interview with Louise Gillis, the National President for the Canadian Council of the Blind, and Albert Rule, the Western Canada Program Coordinator for Get Together with Technology at CCB. My next guest and my next interview is Samantha Moore. Samantha is the co-chair of the 2019 National Young Leaders Program at Fighting Blindness Canada. Samantha, welcome to The Pulse. It's great to have you on the program. Thank you so much. So, Sam, one of the th- ways in which you came to be on the panel is through your involvement with the National Young Leaders Program that's put on by Fighting Blindness Canada. This might be the first time someone's heard about the program, so what is it? Essentially, the National Young Leaders Program is a program organized by Fighting Blindness Canada, and it's an initiative to advocate for people with vision loss, blindness, vision impairment, whatever you know word you like to use for yourself, with employment. So it's specific to people between the ages of 17 and 30. Uh, however, we do seem to attract people outside of those brackets as well, people who are maybe thinking about their careers a little bit earlier Maybe people who want to kind of come back and mentor the program. They've been through the program. They, you know, they're like over 30 and very settled in their careers now. So they sort of like coming back and and seeing what's going on. And it's really just a place to connect. It's a place to meet other people that are dealing with vision loss, how they're dealing with that, with their employers, in their home life, what assistive technology they're using, if any, depending on what their career or, or work entails, um, and just doing different workshops and just getting to know each other. It's, it's really a, a platform to mm. connect. And do you find that in talking about employment, and I, you know and I know that the employment rates for the blind or partially sighted community could be better, a lot better. <laughs> way better. Uh, way <laughs> better. Be so better. Um, then is, are you having conversations with people involved with the program, not just about the ways in which they can advocate for themselves, but also about the changing nature of work. I'm sure you've heard about the gig economy and being self-employed. So are those Mm -hmm. things that you're exploring as well? A little bit, yeah, because I do, there is a really high rate of self-employed people who are visually impaired as well. And I think it's important that we explore, you know, is that because yes, we're great leaders, but also is it because we find other avenues not accessible to us? So I think that's definitely something worth exploring. Sam, one of the things that I was very interested in finding out about was the summit that you organize as part of the program on an annual basis. I've even heard rumors that you're going to do it more than once a year. So what happens (laughs) at one of these summits? Uh, So yes, we did do them once a year. Last year in 2019, which were the ones that I co-chaired with Patrick, those were, it was the first time we had done three. We had done them across Canada. Really, they are networking events for everyone to come and gather FBC actually helps cover the, that cost. We provide travel scholarships so people are actually able to travel to Vancouver or Montreal or wherever we're hosting um, our summits. This year we've got Edmonton, Montreal, and Toronto. Mm. Toronto we tend to keep as a home base, but it's, again, a really a chance for everyone to connect. We do dress for success workshops. We work on resumes, talk about, you know, we usually have a career panel 
which uh, last year what we did, we changed it from sort of a panel to a, a roundtable discussion mm-hmm. because as much as, you know, we have great leaders, you have people who are doctors and lawyers and, you know, doing all these fascinating things. It sparks so much conversation mm-hmm. and everyone in the room really has a lot to offer. So I think by even providing the roundtable discussions, it allowed everyone to feel empowered and everyone to connect as opposed to just, you know, having this panel of two or three people who are mm-hmm. like, oh, we're so great. This sounds like a really enjoyable event. How old is too old to attend? What's your cutoff? <laughs> um, so we do the, like, you know, the 17 to 30, but like I said, that's also more of a guideline. Um, some people who maybe were diagnosed later on in life or lost their vision, maybe at 26, mm-hmm. as opposed to somebody who lost it at 14 or seven or whatever it was. Um, you know, they feel like they maybe need those resources a little longer into their 30s. Mm-hmm. So we do have a couple people who are, you know, 32, 35. Uh, the other th- thing that sort of piqued my interest in hearing you present this morning was that apparently you have a face for Netherlands. What's the story <laughs> there? Um, so it was actually quite a few years ago, I think. I was 22. And uh, Molly Burke, who mm-hmm. I've known, I actually met her at Lake Joe in Muskoka when we were... I think 11. Um, and she had been approached by Dove and they said, you know, we want to sort of do something similar to, um, you know, their body campaign, their body image campaigns that are more open-minded that promote, you know, women of different shapes, sizes, color, everything. And they said, you know, we want to include disability in that. We want to talk about, you know, embracing that in the discussion of beauty, which is rare. You don't really see that a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, when people talk about natural beauty, it's usually, you know, shape and size and everything else, but disability isn't always included in that. Right. Um, so they were looking for a few people. And so Molly and I actually went through the whole campaign together. We got, it was really fun. We got to do, you know, a couple of days shooting in Toronto out in the sunshine. Mm-hmm. I had to, you know, bathe in front of like 20, <laughs> 20 cameras. <laughs> they have like professional bubble people that just give you bubbles. Oh, wow. And they're like, oh, now stroke it up your arm. And you're like <laughs> stroking bubbles up your arm. Um, but yeah, so they ended up picking me for Molly, I believe got the American, uh, campaign. And then for me, they, at first I hadn't really heard anything and I thought, you know what? It was a cool experience. I don't mind. I'm happy either way. Mm. Um, and then they said, yeah, the, the Netherlands, one of my campaigns got picked up for the Netherlands. And then later on they used it for, uh, another campaign. I think it was called the dynamite campaign, Mm -hmm. uh, for all of Europe. That's wonderful. The reason I brought it up is a, it just shows how cool you are. But B, (laughs) it leads into this broader conversation because living with vision loss means living with the stigma, living with the misperceptions, living with people's next to non-existent um, expectations of your abilities. And a campaign like that, that features disability so prominently and positively, I would imagine is a way to battle that stigma. So how does stigma come into some of the work that you've been doing? Um, oh my gosh, stigma is everywhere. <laughs> um, it was really nice because it did sort of show, you know, yes, people with disability, like that should be included in, like I said, the discussion of natural beauty. Um, but it also lets people know that there's other sides to you. Like that's not even the one thing I do. That's just like something on the side. I mm. even, I've also had the opportunity to be an extra on In the Dark, um, a CW network show. I I have all these opportunities to do these extra things. And and that's part of the advocate, like advocacy that I get to do. Mm -hmm. And stigma is just, I guess when you get to talk to people about those things, not even the people that you visit on site and, and educating those people, but just as you tell people in your day-to-day life, now they get to know that I'm visually impaired and 
that's might be something they didn't know before by looking at me. Like it's just all those little connections that you make by doing those bigger things, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's big and small that work together. And your world must collide in so many ways. When you think about someone who's visually impaired, who's applying for that first job, you've got all the nerves and butterflies of a first interview, mm-hmm. but you've also got an employer's potential misperception of your abilities. And one of the things that you spoke so eloquently about was how workplace cultures really need to change. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. um, And I I think it it even depends on the workplace. Like that's such a big topic to cover. You know, if you're looking at, yes, an office environment and maybe a very clean, well-to-do, like a, a large bank or, you know, banks have a stereotype for hiring people with disabilities, but it's, it's because they can afford it, mm-hmm. right? A lot of those smaller companies, that's great if I want to work at you know a tiny little mom and pop pizza shop, but maybe they don't have the finances and the resources to accommodate me. So you're not only dealing with like the stigma when you're going into that interview, but you're dealing with the resources or lack thereof of what's offered to you through that business. Mm-hmm. So that's a really challenging part of it too. It's, it's not just what that employer thinks of you. Um, and then, you know, maybe you're in a more industrial area. Maybe you're, you're in a warehouse. Maybe mm-hmm. you're somewhere with stuff where there's safety hazards. And for normal people, like I've, I've never been injured in the workplace, mm-hmm. knock on wood, but I've worked in warehouses. I've worked in backstock areas. I've, set up huge pipe and drape. I, I set up huge props for like window installations for stores. Like, and I have not drilled my finger into a ceiling mm-hmm. <laughs> whereas some people do and perfectly able-bodied people. So I, mm-hmm. I don't think it's even a question of like, because of your disability, are you able to do this? I think if anything, people with vision impairments and disabilities pay more attention mm-hmm. because you know, you have to like prove yourself in that aspect. Exactly. Um, but it, it's also about asking that employer, are you, are you a safe employer to work for, like turning it around? Exactly. Uh, in the few minutes that we've got left, I really want to talk to you a little bit about the impact of social media and whether you are part of any sort of a campaign or initiative to use social media to get people to connect to each other and to try and raise public awareness of the stigma around disability and vision loss. Um, I do have, I guess like, you know, through my own private account, um, mm-hmm. I actually have started a podcast with a couple of girlfriends of mine. Um, we haven't launched just yet, but it's called mm-hmm. What's the Difference? And it's about just women with, you know, different disabilities. And mm-hmm. we talk a lot or mainly about invisible disabilities. So, you know, you don't always know by looking at somebody if they are struggling with their hearing or uh, epilepsy or vision loss or whatever it is. Um that's about it. And then just, you know, stuff through, through FBC and mm-hmm. the see me as campaign from last year that we did. And yeah, that's about uh, it. you know, you raised the point about privacy, which I had intended to ask you about before, but I'll ask you now because mm-hmm. for anyone with an invisible disability, and I will include people with low vision in this category because someone's visual impairment may not always be apparent. If you have a white cane or a guide dog, that pretty much gives the game away. Yeah. Uh, but in other instances, people might be hesitant to disclose their disability. What are some of the challenges and pitfalls when you think about privacy and disclosing a disability? It's hard because even sometimes if you decide, okay, I'm, you know, I'm going to go into this space, whether it's an interview or a social situation and not disclose, even if you're not using a white cane or a dog, you still have large print on your phone. You may still be using voiceover. There's other things that sometimes you even forget about that can, you know, quote unquote, give it away. Mm. Um, it It's a really challenging thing because then you, you know, people say, oh, don't be afraid to be who you are. But that that's a totally different discussion to me. This is like, you know, whether I'm choosing 
how the world sees me. And sometimes if you have to use a cane or you're more like, you know, your dog Mm -hmm. that just discloses for you, you don't even have that, that choice. Like it's such a complicated game. Well, full disclosure, Sam, I have really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for being on The Pulse. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was really great talking to you. That was my interview with Samantha Moore, the co-chair of the 2019 National Young Leaders Program at Fighting Blindness Canada. That wraps up day three of our coverage of the Canadian Vision 2020 Summit. Today, we got into the weeds about the complexities of living with vision loss. I know it's a topic most of us can readily relate to. But if you did miss any of that conversation, you're welcome to go pick it up as a podcast at your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, don't forget to like, rate, or subscribe. You can also head on over to ami.ca forward slash on the pulse, where I have a few further reflections and thoughts. I really loved listening to that panel. It was the one that I could most readily relate to. Albert has a tremendous sense of humor, and his humor really manages to come across to an audience and a room full of people. Humor can often be a great way to try and break down some of those barriers and eliminate some of those misconceptions. And whether people talked about employment or transportation, whether they talked about privacy or living with the stigma of vision loss, it was clear that everyone was passionate and committed and inherently optimistic when they consider that 2020 heralds a decade of change for the vision loss community. I heard so many positive thoughts and reflections about the Accessible Canada Act that I left the panel feeling energized myself. So I hope you will have a chance to dive into some of those conversations. My thanks going out to Louise Gillis, Albert Rule, and Samantha Moore. The Pulse is produced by Andrika Delanroll. Sam Robinson is our technical producer. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. Thank you so much for listening to the program. If you have any feedback, you can find us on Twitter at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI and let us know what you think about the Vision 2020 Summit and some of the speakers that we've had a chance to sit down with. This has been The Pulse on AMI-audio and I've been your host, Chuita Gupta. Have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.